Analyzing now. Stand clear. Shock advised. Push to shock. Sæl og velkomin í bráðaarpið. Enn erum við stödda á ráðstefninni á vakt fyrir Ísland. En að þessu sinni ætlum við að ræða við Mark Dixon sem er kennslustjóri í bráðatæknanámi við háskólan í Limrik á Írlandi. En þangað hafa nokkri íslenski bráðatæknar sótt sér framhaldsmöndun á síðastlinum árum. Mark hóf sjálfur störf árið 1985 sem advanst bráðatæknir. En hann náði sér svo í meistaragráði í fræðunum við háskólan í Döblin árið 2007. En Mark Rétt að taka það fram að ég þetta erum talar hann um grein sem hann hefur staðið að í set link inn á þá grein í svona show notes eða comment sem að koma fyrir neðan þáttinn. Gjörðu þess og vel. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you very much indeed and thank you very much for having me here in Iceland. Well, thank you for visiting. <laughs> we really like it when foreigners come to Iceland. <laughs> um, I want to start out with asking you, just, just getting, you, getting to know you a bit. Uh, where your background's from and, and who, who are you? Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, well, as you say, I, I currently work in the University of Limerick and uh, I run the paramedic studies degree programs that we operate there. Mm-hmm. Background-wise, I have uh, unfortunately been a paramedic quite a long time. So in the mid to late 80s, shall we say, I began and I used to work in the UK, okay. in Newcastle City Central before moving into education and I've moved really to full-time education in around the last 10 years okay uh, since doing you know a master's and yeah interesting that you say unfortunately because that's that might be the uh, the reason for your lecture is that we are still using old techniques right well you're absolutely right and I think if I consider you know modern vocational training at the moment mm-hmm to when I trained, you know, all those years ago, the difference really isn't that great. No, exactly. And what is it that you do in Limerick uh, that's new to, to the rest of the world? Or <laughs> well, at least to Iceland, if you, if you say it that simple. No, well, perhaps it's a play on words, but I call it that conventional training in the ambulance service sense okay. is training. So we have a set number of tasks mm-hmm. and we actually train people to do those tasks. What we'd like to consider is we provide paramedic education, which is not just doing the task, but understanding the knowledge base behind it, the complications, the side effects, mm-hmm. the knock-ons. Um, if, if I give you a very simple example, perhaps you have a patient with a simple broken leg. Mm-hmm. We all know, you know, analgesia in some form and a splint and check peripheral pulses. But do we really consider what's going on at cellular level? Do we consider the body's response? Do we consider potentials for infection? Do we consider the rehabilitation program? Yeah. Um, so it's about uh, increasing the breadth of the knowledge in a technical sense. But I think more importantly, or, or equally important, it's about demonstrating how we can transition from a straight vocational training role to something more educationally based. Where we actually understand why we're doing things, right? 
Which is, yeah, exactly yeah. right. And that's really what happens in other professions. So if you consider physio or nursing mm. or medicine itself, yeah. there's a much broader depth yeah. of knowledge rather than just do the actual skill. Yeah, because our uh, intervention with a patient uh, can have really much to say for his future outcome, right? Absolutely. So there, there's many levels. So there's the actual satisfaction of the paramedic themselves. Mm -hmm. There's the pain relief, the chronic uh, rehabilitation of the patient, mm -hmm. the cost and burden to the taxpayer, mm -hmm. and perhaps we have an ethical right to do it the best way we possibly can. Of course. Um, in Limerick, uh, like, like we talked about, it's, it's something new, at least here for us Icelanders, uh, the way you do it. Yeah. Um, how is it, uh, you know, in, in the rest of the world, have, have you research that or we have very much so so before we started up our paramedic degree program we looked around the world mm -hmm. and most of them are aligned either to a nursing school mm -hmm. or to a medical school yeah and what we did was we broke down the specific roles of a paramedic mm -hmm. and we looked at a paramedic predominantly works in the community setting yeah. on their own with great levels of autonomy with huge responsibility and that, we found, uh, aligned much better to medicine than it is to nursing. So we've made quite a big departure that we're actually part of a medical school mm -hmm. and we train hand-in-hand hand with the doctors. Yeah. So I think that's a huge difference. Yeah. Um, in your lecture, you talked about, you know, making a professional, actually a professional, mm. a healthcare professional. And that, how do we do that? That's an interesting one. So I don't think that's for us to choose. No. I think that's for other healthcare professionals to accept us yeah. by our deeds and actions. All right. And that, in that sense, that we, we have to step up our game, right? We do indeed. So if you consider most allied health, you know, occupational therapy, physiotherapy, radiotherapy, mm -hmm. the only difference, they have their unique skill sets. We certainly have our unique skill sets, but they have a degree-based yeah. education. And we don't. And we don't. For how many years have you been teaching a de degree in, in Limerick? So we've been doing um, it for five years now. Okay, okay. Yeah. So it's <laughs> still in its infancy. It's still, yeah, of course, yeah. All but right. developing, yeah. Yeah, all right. Um, research and, and research levels, uh, is that something that we need to step up our game in as well? Like for, for example, here in Iceland? Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head perfectly there. Yeah, I think. Thank you. <laughs> the, the, the way we demonstrate to other professions that we deserve a seat next to them mm -hmm. is by going, is by taking charge of our own profession. Yeah. So ordinarily, new instructions, new protocols, new equipment mm -hmm. comes from on high down. Yeah. And we're told this is what you'll be doing. This mm -hmm. is how you use it. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to generate conflict. But what I do want to say is we are the people on the ground who know what needs adjusting. Definitely. So if we do the work, if we do the research, and we come with proposed, costed, evidence-based solutions, mm -hmm. and I think it's almost inevitable that management, that senior people will take those thoughts on board yeah. and allow us to progress and effectively drive our own profession yeah. rather than having you know, rules and regulations employed yeah. on us. Yeah. And like, you know... Uh, like we talked, uh, you talked about in your lecture, we have to maybe look more into that evidence-based medicine, right? We are still taking those old uh, things that we used to do and, and, and old uh, research, yeah. well, not even research is behind it, but 
non-evidence-based non things. Based, yeah. So I, I think the biggest example I give is traditional EMS training comes mm. from the Vietnam War. Yeah. And we simply do what we've always done. And 50 years later, yeah. we're still teaching trauma, 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 trauma. And this trauma, even though, yeah. yeah. And, and as you know, I looked up the um, death rates for Iceland. Yeah. And we know that the primary cause of death then are acute coronary syndrome, mm -hmm. followed by cancer, mm -hmm. followed by neurological diseases. Yeah. And I think that's where the focus of the education should be. Yeah. So the context is exactly. within the population. Yeah. It's also rele relevant to, to think about that we're mostly here in Iceland, we're using American books. Yeah. Uh, which, unfortunately, they have a lot of shootings, for example, in the States. Obviously, they, te they teach their paramedics to handle that. Maybe not relevant for us Icelanders, right? No, and, and I think, you know, anybody who tries to impose another jurisdiction's policies is, is in trouble. Yeah. Do you know, we don't get too many diamond-back rattlesnakes no, in Reykjavik, exactly. I assume. We no, don't no. get, you know, a drive-by shooting. Oh, definitely not. Um, so it does have to reflect, you know, the common practice on the roads that we do. Of course. Well, Mark, another thing that I would like to discuss with you uh, is that uh, in Limerick you've done some research on uh, or study uh, around neck and, and spine immobilization. Uh, what, you can t what can you tell me about that? Yeah, this is a study that we did in 2013 and we, we like to think that it, it's really affected uh, the way things operate to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Um, so we looked at what do we do in road traffic collision circumstances and the standard answer was we apply a rigid collar, we immobilize a patient on a backboard and when we've actually talked to colleagues from nursing and, and occupational therapies they say why on earth do you do that? You have a person with an S-shaped spine mm -hmm. and you're forcing them onto a flat surface. That can't be right. And I think in many terms that, that really was the instigation for us looking into things in more detail. Like we talked about, we're still using some old methods. Uh, I guess the spine board has been used since what, the, some war at least, Second well, World War. Actually, the, the, the spinal board came from the more stripping aluminium okay. from the frames of crashed aircraft in Vietnam and oh, using really? them yeah. as stretchers okay. to evacuate patients. Luckily enough, we have some researchers who have uh, found out that that doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense if you just think about the anatomical position. position absolutely. Um, and what should we do then? Okay, so, so we used our biomechanical sports engineers mm -hmm. and we kitted um, fake patients and we went through our standardized road traffic collision protocols in terms of extraction, so that included spinal boards, collars, short extrication jackets mm -hmm. and we looked at the various extrication methodologies so out through the driving door, out through the passenger door, out through the parcel shelf. Mm -hmm. uh, just, just an interference, uh, the short jacket uh, thing, that's kit. Yes. I, I, just I, I, <laughs> so people recognize what we're talking about. It's a kit. I, unfortunately I don't think I'm allowed to say that commercially. No, well, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Um, no, no. So, so we looked, and our biomechanics people who used very high-end um, 500 hertz infrared motion cameras yeah. picked up the movement of the cervical spine on extrication using the various message, methods. Mm -hmm. And quite frightening, unfortunately, the results. Um, our control was no intervention by emergency services at all, other than simple instruction, keep your head still mm -hmm. and get out. That's amazing. 
Yeah. Well, I, I suppose well, I have to add the caveat them. that yeah. you know these are for patients who are hemodynamically stable. Yeah, of course. Obviously, of course. there is a place for others. Um, yeah. But yeah, and in fact, when we consider these results in our proof of a concept study, mm-hmm. the application of a KED in a spinal board actually caused four times more neck movement than simply asking somebody to get out. Yeah, all right. So uh, what can we do? We did go to full-scale trial, mm-hmm. and we changed many different graphics, so from you know thin people, heavy people, tall people, short people. Um, and we did find that while the results weren't quite as dramatic, it still showed by far that the best way to get a hemodynamically stable patient from a vehicle is to ask them to carefully get out themselves. Right. But we can still use spinal board as an extraction device, right? I think, and we have taken this to our statutory regulation body in, mm-hmm. in Ireland, so that's its only function now, Yeah. yeah. is uh, extrication and then immediate transfer to vacuum mattress or, or scoop stretcher. <coughs> Were there any difference uh, in, in how to extract a patient? Is it like through the roof or through the side door or what, what's what's your take on that yeah we actually found our results would show that the best if you have an option mm-hmm. is to actually extricate through the passenger door or indeed mm-hmm. the opposite door okay. to where the patient is oh really what about the thing in the middle <laughs> yeah we see if you're going out the other side yeah. then you're swinging the feet to freedom of course and that helps yeah. if you go on the same side you're swinging your feet into the transmission shaft where the gearbox is yeah of course alright well, that's an inter- interesting study. Can we? Is it published yet? Or? Absolutely, it's been yeah. published quite a while, so it's available on Emer- Emergency Medicine Journal. Okay. And again, I can maybe leave details with you. Yeah, that would be nice. I would uh, put it in the show notes. Uh, and we can. Uh, yeah. You know, it's open access, so anybody can get it. Great. Well, Mark, thank you so much for visiting and and being on the program, and until next time. Thank you very much indeed for having me.